0: Should the government have the power to restrict harmful speech? Should private businesses have this power? What about big tech like Facebook and Twitter? Should Google be able to restrict search results for things they don't want you to see because it doesn't align with their ideology? All of these questions have been thrust back into the mainstream discussion with the advent of technology. Our founders were brilliant to enshrine the freedom of speech and press in our First Amendment. But that was long before massive tech companies held such power of influence. During both the 2016 and 2020 election, memes were curated to help sow division and instill fear on the other side. Circulation of misinformation shaped who people voted for, and now, during a pandemic, misinformation could be costing lives. Should we restrict speech if it is provably detrimental? Should conspiracy theorists be allowed to garner such power and influence on their platforms? Or should all of the information, good and bad, be available? And the real problem to address is more so the critical thinking capabilities of our populace. I've always been an advocate for education as the cornerstone to our democracy. An informed society is a stronger society. But what does that mean to be informed? We must be able to digest information from more than one source and learn how to make the best decision. But if we can't, should the government or private businesses do it for us? Stay tuned as we discuss the nuance surrounding censorship, and be sure to let us know your thoughts. Enjoy the show. In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. This episode is brought to you by our favorite spirit, whiskey. We enjoy conversations more when there's a drink in our hand. During this discussion, I'm enjoying a glass of Highland Park 17-year full volume, created using only ex bourbon casks laid down in 1999. This scotch whiskey delivers flavors of creamy vanilla and sweet citrus fruits, balanced by Highland Park's characteristic aromatic smokiness. It highlights notes of caramelized lemon and soft banana. Finally, a hint of cinnamon that melts into a smooth toasted oak note. Now, let's get back to the show. Cheers.
1: Censorship. It's a tool that's been used by any number of powerful parties in the past, whether it be uh, religions, governments, monarchies, dictatorships. Generally, it's a tool used by governments to restrict any amount of information that they don't want their citizenry to see or hear or read um, because they are deemed generally if people were to read certain things about how they're being mistreated, they're going to revolt against their government. It's generally the trend that goes on. So they want to limit that as much as possible. What it looks like today is not really the government themselves, though we can get into it because there's maybe some debate going on as to whether governments are actually involved in it. But it looks like big tech companies like Twitter, Facebook, things that are otherwise like open platforms for people to like share any amount of ideas, thoughts, video, reading, anything really, gets removed for any number of reasons. Yeah, and the excuse usually is it violates some kind of community standards of theirs, like it's illegal content, violent content, sexual content, or just generally what is described as misinformation, whether it's medical misinformation, something with like COVID and goes against what health experts quote unquote, are saying all these things are in quotations. Everything's a quote unquote these days or it's political content. Typically, these companies are very left leaning because they're based in Silicon Valley in California. Um, And the argument is that they tend to favor left leaning ideas and and ideologies they believe in that then people on the right get lumped into this category of, uh, quote unquote, again, hate speech, which is a very ill defined thing.
0: Yeah, that's 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 one of the things that I I stand I stand to understand why people want to block or censor certain speech, especially if it's, you know, if if it's harmful in a way that is I don't know, visual and, and provable and especially with the advent of technology, you have you have people that are able to go online and essentially bully and talk down to and berate people who don't agree with them in in horrible horrible ways. Things that you would never say in person to someone. You you become this screen warrior saying in a comment thread that you know I'm going to kill you. you. You you fucking horrible asshole. Like I'm just I'm going to say all these horrible things and it's like it's it, it's it's very easy for then the Facebook or Twitter to say okay you have a track record of getting into it with this person using this language, um, even though we don't think that. You're a credible enough threat to, you know, report you to the police or the FBI. You are not abiding by our community standards, and therefore you're, we're going to block you off of our platform. You know, this is what happened with a numerous, numerous politicians, including Donald Trump himself as president, because he was violating quote unquote their community standards. Whether we agree with that or not, whether we think uh, it's 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 good or bad, it's that's what happened. And I think understanding the why is probably an important step before we even get to debating the philosophy behind it. Because I, I don't I don't think I want to believe that these Large companies or even government officials who have ill intentions when just passing legislation or passing community standards that are restricting speech. I think they it's well it, it's well intentioned, but the the running theme on this podcast with a lot of the topics we've been covering is that the path the hell is paid with good intentions, and that you you start censoring speech, where does that slippery slope stop? One of the things I have a problem with, especially with censorship is it takes away the freedom of the individual to learn on their own. And it creates this atmosphere in which it's almost impossible to then learn on your own because you're just spoon-fed information that people above you or who have no more power or more money than you want you to know that it aligns with their ideology or their agenda, even if they believe that their ideology and their agenda is good. A, a good a, a timely example is obviously COVID, right? Everything uh, surrounding COVID is is being labeled on Twitter on Facebook on Instagram as as this is information that was posted this 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 date and uh this is about COVID here's a CDC link just to make sure you know what you're doing uh, before I can even share something or comment on something and if I post something that has the word COVID in it then it, it marks it and flags it and says hey this post is about COVID here's a link to better information because this might be wrong now is it Facebook or Twitter's job to do that i don't think it's bad that they try to offer some extra nuggets of information but if that extra information Information is only one-sided and doesn't allow for other people who are talking about things such as hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or whatever, whether these are good or bad. I would much rather, in my utopian society, have every doctor at the table, every medical professional at the table, every researcher at the table with all the information, even the conspiracy theorists, put it all out there and then let the better idea, let the better science win out in the end rather than blocking, because once you start blocking, to me, that that creates resentment, that creates a conspiracy. It's like, oh, Facebook's only allowing us to see what the CDC is saying. But not what other organizations are saying. Therefore, they must be in cahoots because they're making money off of this drug. And therefore, COVID hoax, conspiracy theory, election fraud—it just goes spiraling down this whole cascading waterfall of craziness. I, what's 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 the end of of that game? You know,
1: to to understand why this has become such a big contentious issue and why there's like no real clarity as to like what's actually going on is because there is just such an incredible lack of transparency when it comes to the practices and like how these companies actually decide, like they're, they're suddenly the arbiters of what is truth and what is not, what information should be trusted and what shouldn't and who can be on their platform and who cannot. It's like, they can name any number of reasons they can say, Oh, we removed Trump for violating community standards. But I don't know if they ever actually put out like exactly what tweets of his violated those community standards, because there's maybe a three-strike policy, but like sometimes it seems like that's just a completely arbitrary rule for people. Like, I mean, I'm sure he's made tweets in his four years of presidency that violated their community standards, but he didn't get removed until like a seemingly very specific time right after the Capitol riots this year. And so like it's just like the timing of things that just it it doesn't lend to these companies credibility when it comes to what they're deciding is right and wrong and what should be censored or left to, you know, spread on on their platform. And then yeah, when it comes to COVID specifically, it definitely doesn't help when something that they might have labeled a year ago as misinformation, quote unquote, and removed it from their platform is now mainstream news that everyone seems to accept, notably the lab league theory when it comes to the actual virus. Like a year ago, I I, I swear to God, there was that was a contentious thing like people couldn't post a single thing about that like oh maybe it leaked from this lab in wuhan and that was labeled oh well the experts say this this and this and this no it was a natural born disease came from bats and blah 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 and now it's like oh well that's maybe debunked now so this what was once information is now generally accepted to be a possibility, and now, and so that just creates this resentment of like, okay, well, what other shit have you labeled misinformation in the past, or are labeling misinformation now that is going to turn out to be true? And how many people are you going to ban or shadow ban? Because that's another thing they do too. It's like they don't, they might not outright ban you, but they can completely and totally limit the reach that you have by just just like any any reach that your post might have had doesn't show up on people's timelines and you won't know it and they won't know it. And this happens on Twitter all the time. It happens on Facebook, too. I know they've testified before Congress before, but it seems like it's just a circus of nonsense every time they do. Like, I don't know if there's any anything actually substantial said by Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress that explains what the fuck they're doing when it comes to any amount of the content they allow or disallow.
0: Well, and that's the funny thing to you. You bring, bring the. That- the hearings up, that it's really, it just, it, it devolves down into Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey. They basically just do an instruction course on how the internet works to these 75-year-old plus Congress members. There's a weird symbiotic relationship that has to happen but can't because Silicon Valley, who has, I would argue, more power in in influencing the public discourse than, than government does. No, I, th- I think the, the larger question is, is whether or not these tech companies should fall under the first amendment is, is there do we stand to benefit from making them or forcing them to allow to everyone to say whatever they want or is there is there a better metric to use if, if someone actually is peddling Detrimental misinformation, uh, akin to yelling fire in a, in a movie theater that is not actually on fire. But, you know, the often quoted Supreme Court case that rules that, you know, free speech is free speech, of course, but there is consequence to speech. So if your free speech incites violence or a stampede or a riot or something bad, or there's actual externality to what you said that harms others' individual rights, what's the metric? If if you're on Facebook and you're saying you know Hillary Clinton eats babies and you should vote for Donald Trump in 2016, is there an argument to be made that well it was a joke, it was a meme, or it's peddling misinformation from a platform that can influence an election? You know what what's what's I don't know what what to do with that.
1: I think the clear distinction that's always been is like yes when it comes to like actually like illegal content like I don't want to see an ISIS beheading video, or like child pornography on my Facebook wall. Probably a good thing that Facebook identifies that shit and pulls it down when they can. But it's such a large platform that it's like they can't catch all of it. Should the same thing be applied to misinformation like that?
0: Well, that begs a the question, then who's who's deciding it's misinformation?
1: Yeah, exa- exactly. It's like, what who... And that's that's comes with the lack of transparency too. Like who who is on their staff, or what do they just have an algorithm that like sets out like oh this thing we just put in input and it outputs this is information and that anything that has those keywords in there just gets flagged and and removed. Automatically, and it does become an issue. And there's a legitimate argument to say that if it's just an algorithm, or there is like a legit, legit team like screening every single post on Facebook that gets any amount of traffic, what would their bias play a role in what stays and what goes? I don't
0: know if it's good for us to force private companies to adhere toward to the First Amendment, but. I'm pro first amendment. Like I don't want the, I don't want the, my standard for censorship is different for the government itself than it is for Facebook. Uh, if Facebook wants to platform only Democrats or only Republicans, that's what they want to do. That I, then I as a consumer can decide to go somewhere else because Facebook's free. I can, I can delete my account and, and do whatever the hell I want to. It's not like I, my life isn't controlled by Facebook. Now if I allow it to be controlled by Facebook, if, if Facebook becomes the only available platform, which it, Pretty much is, Uh, you know, Facebook owns Instagram, so Instagram and Facebook are the same, Um, just different mediums and different ways to share things. Twitter is just a shorter version of Facebook, just with shorter characters, and but you can still do all the same things. Other than that, I mean, same with search engine, right? Google Google is the only, honestly, well, uh, I mean, Firefox maybe. Bing. No one uses Bing.
1: DuckDuckGo. Nobody uses that shit. No like... one
0: uses that stuff. So Google is the only search engine and Google has been known to curate your search results either based on an algorithm that lines up with what you're interested in because it, it, it learns you and your searches and what you've looked at your on your phone. It also probably restricts things if you're trying to search for, I don't know, where's the closest white nationalist group i can join I, there might be something there where google is like no 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 you can't look at that is that right and i'm not saying we should all join white nationalist clubs but you should should we as citizens have a right to see that information
1: yeah i mean i guess there is a difference between like google limiting our search results and google helping the chinese government limit their search results like google in china looks completely different i am sure what google looks like here in america like try looking up tiananmen square here you're gonna get a whole history and a whole wealth of images for what happened in tiananmen square you look up that in china it's not coming up and on top of that you're getting put on a list and you're gonna get a knock on the door the next day and that's the difference between living in a a quote-unquote free society and one that is totalitarian in nature and is completely controlled by the government writ large and, and that's and, and it becomes an issue then where it's like, OK, we do have these private companies like cowtailing to totalitarian regimes to be able to do business in another country. OK, financially, I understand that makes sense. But morally, it's gross. It's really gross. But then you do have like now the White House admitting that they are working closely with these companies to limit medical misinformation when it comes to covid. And then that's when I that that's like the, the red flags start raising in my head where I'm like, ugh, this is starting to feel like China gross, like you're limiting our information, openly admitting to censoring stuff that we can't as a people determine like in and, and research whether or not it's true or not. And you know what? Fair enough. People are fucking stupid when it comes to the internet and they'll believe the stupidest shit and they'll hear, you know, fucking hydroxychloroquine come out of Trump's mouth and they'll go inject shit into their veins. Okay. Dumb. Dumb people. (laughs) We don't, maybe we don't want that to happen, but I mean, if I was going to be totally throwing my hands up in the air, let those people perish with their idiocy. I don't care. (laughs) This is natural selection, guys. (laughs)
0: Every month, Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, that's great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions. The Kogan Conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse, paired with a glass of whiskey, of course. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from The Cogan Conversation, subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course, following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers. it's not it's not our government's job to protect us from ourselves it's to protect us from others and those who want to infringe our, on our rights and our individual freedoms right it's not like if i want to go you know do something stupid that's on me if if i if i listen to something on the internet and I, I decide, okay, well, I'm going to take this medication that I haven't, I don't know anything about because I'm not a medical professional. Even though I read a, a medical research document, I'm still not well-versed in medical lingo. So why would I even claim to be an expert? But I'm going to post on Facebook to all my friends and say, I do this because someone who I like said so on the political spectrum. And then I go do it. And then I end up in the hospital with an infection or with a, with, with a liver disease or failing failing kidneys. Uh, you know, that is it, if that's happening at a, at at an alarming rate, I think the problem isn't the misinformation. The problem is that we have so many people who are so susceptible to to stupidity. So, what's what's the what's the job there? Is it? I mean, my I always go back to education, and education to me isn't something that comes from from the top down. I think it's just a, a a cultural thing, a value thing. We value creating better people and people who are more able to discern fact from fiction, and even when it comes to facts, be able to discern. Uh, all the spin surrounding the fact and who's saying what and how they're saying it—the tone in their voice—is it a news show? Or is it an opinion show? You know, being able to extrapolate, not just sit in an echo chamber. That that same goes for misinformation online. Like I, I would hope that there are people who are smarter than just reading a, a bunch of pages of memes on social media that were you know pro-Hillary or pro-Trump and then deciding who they're going to vote for based on that. But. You and I both know, we probably know people who were influenced by things like that on social media. That's where they got their news, right? Or, or they don't know what, what a good or credible news source is. Anyone nowadays can start a news channel, create a website that looks legit, and just start spouting off bullshit. And it's like, okay, well, now you might have 100 plus people who believe this one thing and it's not good. So where does, where is the censorship, where does a line get drawn? Right. I Obviously, I think obscenity, child pornography, like you said, ISIS beheading videos, things like that. You know, if you want to find it on the internet, you can find it. There are places, there are corners of the web, you can find everything. But there are also corners of our national intelligence agencies that can find you if you start to search for, I, I mean, child porn as an example. You're, you're going to get a knock on the door. I'm sorry. That's not something you should be searching for. But when it comes to sharing, a, a document or a, an article on Facebook and then getting suspended for it because it doesn't subscribe to the the CDC's narrative on COVID that day, even though their narrative changes every week because science evolves and we learn new things about, about this virus. That to me is ridiculous.
1: There's utility in learning that that's what happens when you Go down the path of trading off liberty in the name of safety and then accepting that, okay, well, these things are bad, so we should get rid of them, or these people are bad, so we should get rid of them. And that's what America is based on, too. It's just this the idea that, okay, nothing, there's not something that's more important than our liberty and our freedom. Like, I We as a country and a nation, we're not willing to trade our own freedoms for this like idea of safety, but we have continually done it in the last 20 years at this point, like post 9-11, what do we have now? Like a very expanded homeland security that is in every airport in America. TSA gets to go through all of your shit, get to look at everything you bring through in the name of, oh, well, now you're safely flying on planes. And terrorists can't attack anymore, even though it happened once. And okay, and then they're like, "Oh, well, see, that's that's our system working. There haven't been any attacks like that since."
0: Well, there's been there's been no provable data that the TSA has ever been released that says that they were able to stop a, an attack of that scale. They have they found pocket knives? Yeah. Have they found flammable items? Of course. Should those people be bringing those things on a plane? No. But at the same time. Are, are you, you just by screening them at, at the TSA at the gate? You're not like you're not understanding their psychology. That person might just have a a, a knife on them, and it's like, oh, I forgot, you know, I damn it, I should have put it in my check bag. Oh well, are were they going to use it to hijack the plane? I, I mean, but that's that's another thing too, is that it, it, censorship might get into the weeds when it comes to the internet now too with, with how many people have become radicalized and, and do things in the name of Islam.
1: That is true. But then there's the argument on the other side now, like post-capital insurrection in, in the beginning of this year, like, oh, well, that was directly a result of Trump's tweets and and this place called 8chan where they believe these crazy conspiracy theories. It was all organized there. And I'm like, first off, I don't think that was a real like threat to our nation's security a group of idiots just going in and throwing chairs around in the Capitol. like okay yeah people got shot and people died but like come on guys they're larping this is not like a real like militia coming in and trying to take over our government but they're using that as an excuse for all these like oh well we have our our um january 6 commission who's going to go in and identify who are the real threats to our s- democracy now and oh guess what they're our own citizens. Oh, guess what? The American right is just like the Taliban now. And here's our justified reasons why we should limit their ability to share information with each other, to not radicalize each other, quote unquote. And it it, it it's starting to get like hints of of like gross, okay, we we have labeled the this information bad. These people are now becoming bad. And we can't let them like freely express themselves. We're actively working to limit their First Amendment freedom and market their ideas against what would otherwise be actually good ideas, right? We're taking them and we're pushing them down into a dark corner and arguably probably making it worse.
0: I mean, yeah, it, it goes back to my, my point earlier that when you start to snuff out these bad ideas or the, you know, these provable, provably detrimental, awful ideas or awful ideologies uh, that those that subscribe to that ideology or that that worldview tend to now have resentment and have a reason to call the government whatever name you want to pick because look they they're they're pushing us down to the dark corners they you know they have things to hide. We're, we're the QAnon might be a good example too because you know QAnon isn't the, the Taliban and, and Al Qaeda and ISIS and and that kind of and, and all the radicalized Islam stuff. That's that's a little bit different because there actually is I mean they they actually have credibility as a terrorist organization. Like they have done things that have been bad. They like they they are they are bad. We all agree with that. The QAnon folk though, that's more so just internet idiots who think that Democrats are eating babies and that Donald Trump is like the savior of all people. And they haven't like hurt anyone in in the way that the Taliban has, right? They're, they're, they're not the same. But do I believe that QAnon should be banned from Facebook and Twitter because they say outlandish, insane things that might radicalize people to a point where they think that January 6th was a good thing to do because they think their country really is being taken, taken over by uh, Democrat lizard people? If, if their tinfoil hat really is that strong and they really believe that to the heart their heart of the hearts, if that grows to be, and what's the line? Is it 1,000 people? Is it 20,000 people? Is it 50,000 people? Is it half the nation? What what's at what point do we say ah uh, something's not right? Maybe then the question is the people with the good ideas aren't good at, at at messaging their good ideas, and they have they have such a record of corruption that they're giving more room and fanning the flames of those who are creating their own conspiracy, their own reality. So that's another question too. The philosophy of, of selling your your ideas. If if your ideas are better, if your ideas are good, but theirs are dog shit awful with no ounce of research, but they're the ones winning. They're the ones winning the PR game. Why is that? Is it then Facebook's job to say, well, because y'all are idiots, we're going to only put up what we know is good, even if Facebook's right. Even if Facebook is 100% right in what they're doing. Is it does it actually help us in the long term my answer is no my short answer is no I, I don't think so i'd rather have everything on the table i'd rather have all the information i'd rather have you know if, if there's 90 90 doctors say that that this is what we should be doing for COVID, but there's a 10 percent doctors who also have the same degrees the same credentials and they say well we're not really sure and facebook bans them I think that's a problem i'd rather hear all, all the stances and that goes for every issue that goes for i mean that's kind of what we're trying to do here right we're, we we want to understand the different stuff that's going on we our first episode of our new format was talking about COVID vaccine passports you know good or bad we should probably understand why are people wanting to do this because you can't have a conversation and d- debate and discuss without understanding the other side. Otherwise, you're just talking down to them, and that's, I think, what censorship does. It, it puts, it talks down to people. It puts them down, it belittles them, and makes them feel unwelcome to the table. Even if their ideas are crazy, they they need to be able to be heard, and that's that's the problem.
1: We should touch on this before we end. I think, and a big big part of the debate recently uh, was is a law section two thirty, uh, which cropped up in the er- kind of early days of the internet, like mid '90s, and basically what. That is is it lets companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter let users generate their own content and then those platforms aren't liable legally for what the content that gets posted basically is what that turns into. So it's like if someone comes on Facebook and is able to virtually incite a riot, Facebook is then can get get sued for the damages done in that riot is an example of that. But right now we have people on both the left and the right wanting to get rid of that protection for these companies for very different reasons. Um, we had Trump before he was removed off Twitter trying to institute. Uh, executive orders to limit the powers of Section 230 because he made the similar argument that we talked about earlier where it's like, okay, these companies have a bias, they're limiting conservatives, uh, thinkers and speakers and all these things and banning them off um, due to their very clear left wing bias. And if we were to get rid of Section 230, we would be able to sue them, I guess, for their clear bias, which I'm going to take to its logical conclusion. Okay, we get rid of Section 230. You're a conservative who sues Facebook for banning you for ideological reasons. And then the court then rules it's a private company. It can do whatever it wants. What do you think is the end result of that? I don't think it would change their practice at all of of banning the people that they don't want on their platform. Then you have people on the other side like Biden calling for a repeal of 230 because they want to be able to have more power to uh, limit people's speech on these platforms which again like if you just got rid of 230 i don't i don't think that works either like it's like what the only way you can like have full control over what is on these platforms is if you like nationalize the internet which is nationalizing everything is a fucking terrible idea but especially not the internet like i don't want the internet to be a utility of the government i don't want to be china guys I don't have them deciding what I get to search and what I don't get to search. So, this, this Section 230 argument doesn't make any sense to me uh, about, like, getting rid of it. But also, it's like, well, maybe if we did just get rid of it, then... Fine. You can sue a company for bullshit online. If you if someone writes a bad review about your your restaurant on Yelp, you can sue Yelp for hosting that review of you and all these nonsense cases go to court and they're all going to get thrown out because most of them are going to be nonsense. I'm sure it could get into areas where it's like, okay, we have decisions that get real squirrely, but I I think the more regulation you have on something, generally it's going to make things worse and we can rely on the old First Amendment and the old, hey guys, they're private companies and they can make the decision what to host and what not to host, and if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. But then that raises the idea of like, well, Facebook and Twitter won't give a shit because they have the money to be able to fight all these stupid battles in court, and they're going to survive. Whereas like a new company trying to start up gets sued, they're not going to live.
0: Well, that's a logical next next question that I'm sure people hearing this or, or people who have been watching this unfold is what defines monopoly? Because if if truly all we have is is Facebook, Twitter. I mean, Facebook owns WhatsApp and Instagram, Twitter. I don't know what else Twitter owns, but Twitter's Twitter. And then Google. Those are your choices for searching, for posting, and for sharing things and images, whether you want to share and and post opinions and news articles or pictures of your dog or cat. Those are your options, period. Pinterest existed. It still does, but that's relegated to like recipes and crafts. And Tumblr is a shell of what it was. That's pretty much dead. Uh, You could maybe make the argument for Reddit but reddit is not as popular with mainstream people so everyone's on facebook everyone's on twitter everyone on instagram everyone's searching on google does that is that capitalism it, 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 allowing these giants to become the only options is now there an argument to be made from from the conservative standpoint that who conservatives and, and trump have, who have been banned off of facebook and they want to sue because of it are are they maybe suggesting that facebook is and should be a publishing network that then has to abide by the rule that you give equal time to both to all ideologies to, to every side. You know, CNN and and MSNBC and Fox can't just air only ads for their preferred candidate. Right? It has to be equal. There there are rules. I don't know the answer to that because I I, I agree that they're private companies. Then they could do what they want.
1: But it also just goes to show how much power there is in open forums and speech and when you have yeah when you have these two or three companies who have the monopoly on this kind of open forum and new sharing of information i I, there is an argument that it turns out a different thing there's an argument that they become like nations unto themselves these weird like information oligarchs that just have like this total control over what you can share what you cannot share what you can say to your friends and even if you're in a room and you're not on a device. You're not on their platform. You might have a Google phone in your pocket, and it is listening to what you're saying. <laughs> That's where we're at. <laughs> I,
0: I think I think technology as a whole, and and where it could go, and and, and what the problems are with it, is, is a whole another conversation, a whole different podcast topic. But what what these companies can do with that information, and you know, there's a, a new article that came out saying suggesting that Apple is going to essentially scrub everyone's phone for pictures that it deems uh, akin to child porn, and then flag you and then give your information to the authorities so that the authorities can then vet, you know, what's on your phone. Now, <laughs> first of all, very anti-child porn. If, if that's not, you know, that that shouldn't be a caveat we need to make. But I'm very anti-Apple giving my information to an agency preemptively. You can't win a war before it starts. That's not, how, that's not how this works. If someone commits a crime, then you charge them with a crime. You can't predict that they're going to uh, commit a crime and then charge them preemptively. You can't, you know, if they, have, if they have something on their phone that's bad and it's in their private phone, I'm not saying it's not wrong. Like, what are you going to do? You, that, you know, how many people have like mountains of cocaine and heroin in their basement that we don't know about? Are we going to go door to door to every single person's house to make sure they have they don't have illegal things?
1: Oh yeah. When does it when does it turn into okay? Now we're we're working with uh, Facebook's working with the government now the White House to look find people who are tracking in medical misinformation. Oh okay that that was. Okay. Well, people seem to be all right with that now. Well, now we're we're working with them to uh find out who's trafficking in extremist content. It's like, "Oh, what's extremist content?" And there's this like it, it's like a weird thing where it sounds bad, but there's no like good definition for what. It's like who determines what is that extremist content? Who determines what is hate speech? Oh, well, now it's basically like oh, we're going to flag anyone who's m- peddling anything that is considered dissent.
0: Oh, I'm I'm convinced that we've been shadowed banned since we started talking about COVID. <laughs> this podcast is a work of passion, and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over to our website and learn how you can sign up.
1: Someday they're going to find him dead. I'll
0: This brings part one of our discussion on censorship to a close. What are your thoughts? Are there any angles or things we didn't cover that you thought we should have? Tune in on September 20th for part two, where we'll further flesh out our thoughts and dive deeper into the nuances and philosophies surrounding censorship. In the meantime, if you're enjoying this new format with our monthly topical discussions, we would greatly appreciate sharing this podcast with friends, family, and help to spread the word of our message of nuance and understanding. During these divisive political and social times, we want to make sure we have conversations without assuming the worst in each other and embrace different perspectives. What better way to do so than with a glass of whiskey? Please like, subscribe, follow, and share us all across social media and podcast platforms. And be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.
1: I'm Alan. And I'm Grant.
0: Thank you for listening to The Kogan
1: Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other.
0: Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of
1: good conversation. Until next time. Cheers.